everyone, and welcome to Paragon Consulting Partners' inaugural podcast. I'm Lori LaFleur, here with my co-host and managing partner, Jeff Williams. In this episode, we'll be exploring what is, if not top of mind already, will surely become top of mind when a sense of normalcy returns to everyone, and that's what the impact of COVID-19 will have on imaging operations post-pandemic. So right now, we're seeing mass cancellations of non-urgent outpatient imaging exams and a massive shift towards imaging patients to support diagnosis and ongoing monitoring of disease progression in affected patients. On the technology side, there's understandably been a significant slowdown in procurement and new deployment projects. All of this will eventually return to business as normal, but the question we'd like to explore today is what will normal look like? So, yeah, we're living in an interesting time right now, I think everyone is has made huge adjustments to um, every part of their life and those of us who work on the periphery of healthcare and have clients that are at the front lines we've seen some massive adjustments um, we've invited one of our partners to this first podcast Barbara Smith um, Barbara maybe I'll have you just quickly kind of introduce yourself and your background Sure thing. Hi there. So this is Barbara Smith. I'm a partner at Paragon Consulting Partners. <clears throat> My background and what I bring to the partnership is uh, about 20 years of clinical experience. I was an x-ray tech, clinical instructor, CT tech, mammo tech for a little over 20 years and have been in consulting for the last 10 years and have recently been a patient and so have some, some specific thoughts about what, what experiences people are having with the healthcare system so far, what's been working, what hasn't been working, and what my thoughts are on, on what this is going to look like moving forward from the clinical perspective. So Barbara, I know you, you are working on with a number of different clients of different shapes and sizes, and I think the impact is being felt certainly in the ambulatory space significantly. Uh, but you work with both ambulatory and acute care settings. Maybe you could talk a little bit about the kinds of things you're working on and some of the early indicators um, you've identified as how it's impacted you know, operations and the kinds of work you're doing with your clients? That's a really good question, Jeff. One of my primary clients is a large group of outpatient imaging radiology centers. When the COVID-19 outbreak first started, there was there was kind of a prep for an influx of patients. And uh, for the outpatient centers, that actually ended up being the opposite of what happened. There were initially some, you know, outpatient uh, orders for chest x-rays and, and, and CT chests and things. But primarily COVID-19 patients, uh, once they get to the point where they're getting physician intervention, they're, they're almost at the point where they're short of breath and they're being admitted to the hospital. Uh, because of the ease of transmission of COVID-19, most of our ambulatory centers have either closed down or they are running bare minimum amounts of services. You know, things that, that we do at outpatient imaging centers, a lot of them run into the screening category. So screening mammography, um, lung cancer screenings, uh, breast ultrasound, all of those things are, are generally considered elective procedures. So most of them are being put on hold. And I think that you're also seeing a large drop in volunteer, I don't want to say voluntary imaging. Um, in imaging, <laughs> if you're not bad enough to go to the hospital, nobody's going to x-ray your ankle right now. Um, so the imaging center's volumes have dropped off anywhere from 50 to 90%. Um, 
from the people that I know that are still working in the industry, if they're associated with an outpatient imaging center that is linked to a hospital, they're all being pulled into the hospital or being held in, in a pool of people that will be healthy enough to work in the hospital should their staff get fixed. That's an interesting point that you make. You talk about shifting. So when you say shifts, I'm, I'm assuming this is different from, you know, uh, you know, split shifts. Uh, this is more, are you thinking, are they ro- more of a rotation of their staff to determine who's healthy and who's not? Um, exactly. So, so, you know, frequently you have a hospital center or a hospital IDN that is basically considered the mothership for lack of better terminology. And then there's a group of affiliated or associated outpatient imaging centers because of the drop in volumes at the outpatient imaging centers, a lot of the staff, the x-ray staff, are being asked to work at the hospitals or asked to be able to work at the hospitals should they end up being in it, either inundated with patients or they end up having um, infections spread through their staff. So then they have to replace the people that got sick with the people that are healthy. So it's, it's definitely a, a, uh, a shift in where you're working and how you're working. So you said something interesting there about um, how if you're, you know, you're not urgent enough to go to a hospital or, or be an in, almost an inpatient that, you know, nobody's going to be imaging my ankle, for example, if, I, if I've twisted my ankle um, right now. And, and I've heard some fun statistics, um, fun in sort of a tongue in cheek kind of way. 500 to 1,000 um, orders at a, at a particular health system that I was speaking to um, just the other day are coming in every day that are just basically being put in a pile on the side of a desk, right? Nobody is getting these non-urgent outpatient uh, requisitions that are coming through. And, and I made me really think, and Barbara, I know you're an expert in, in women's imaging. Um, some statistics I found there is they're saying something like 37 million mammograms happen in the U.S. every year. So that's what, that's 100,000 per day. And so how do you think we're going to be able to deal with these imaging backlogs? I mean, if we're looking at 100,000 mammograms across the country um, daily or at any individual health system, 500 to 1,000 unimaged requisitions piling up, I think that, you know, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think that's going to be a huge problem um, when we start opening the doors again. Oh, for sure. So, So screening mammography doesn't go away, right? No matter what this this virus is doing to our country and what effects it's having on everybody else being self-isolated, your risk of breast cancer doesn't stop. The fact that you need an annual screening mammogram doesn't go away. And I think that imaging centers are not just going to be looking at a wave of incoming orders. It's going to be a tsunami. So to your point, every mammo machine in a relatively busy imaging center, it is scheduled between 10 to 20 patients a day on one unit. So multiply that by all of the units that people have, and that's what's sitting in the backlog. So it's not just the backlog for for the technologists and for the radiologists. It's also the backlog for the schedulers. So as you mentioned, these orders, these routine orders are just sitting there stacking up. Because nobody knows when they can schedule them, it's not like anything you can do preemptively. Because uh, we don't know we're going to open our doors yet, or we don't know how we're when we're going to be able to, you know, have people out in general public in close contact to each other. So we get the all systems go. It's okay to go ahead and start scheduling people. So you start right off the bat with a scheduling backlog. Um, then you also have to take into consideration, and I'll relate a personal experience in this. I I was due for a diagnostic follow up, which I went ahead and did because you know it was a a diagnostic. And the time that I was in the imaging center, even though it was virtually empty, I was 
not comfortable the entire time that I was there. The, my healthcare provider does not provide any sort of electronic forms, which meant that I had to, you know, go to the imaging center, get myself in the door, stand six feet away from the desk. They didn't want to hand me the forms, which I understand, but that meant that it was a, a question answer from six feet away, which means that anybody in the waiting room and there was only one other person could hear everything that I was saying because you can't really do that quietly. Uh, you know, and then once I got in to have my study, it was just the whole time I was there, I was worried about who was going to walk past me, who was walking down the hallway, who had been there before. I was consciously trying not to touch things. And I don't think that this feeling is going to go away for anybody very easily. I think you're going to have an, a country full of people with PTSD about being within six feet of each other, touching strange surfaces, not being able to wash their hands, not being able to hand sanitize. And imaging centers are, are going to have to look at this multi-layered problem. So question for you, you know, as someone who um, has exhibited these kinds of symptoms for years, my my sense of germophobia has only been confirmed by everything that we experience now. Um, (laughs) Your point about the PTSD and about the, uh, I'm already starting to see it in the stores where people will turn and walk the other way if they see someone that's, you know, heading down an aisle, a wide aisle. Um, you think about an imaging center, uh, for those of us who've had any, spent any time inside any of these clinics and imaging centers, we're talking narrow hallways, we're talking multiple exam rooms with doors closed. So what is that, how are the, is it gonna be a redesign of the footprint? Is it gonna be a redesign of the operations? What do you, where do you think this goes from here? So so great question. I, I um, also, during the same time period, because I am who I am. I had an, uh, a sinus infection, but it was getting much, much, much worse. So I called my physician and I had a televisit with, with my GP. Um, and, you know, we got through the health part really quickly, decided I didn't need to come in, probably be okay with antibiotics. But then we chatted for about 15 minutes and she was telling me what they're doing at, at her practice right now. So they have three physicians and then they also have a lab for blood draws. Generally, when you go in there, the waiting room is combined for everybody and there's about 60 chairs in there and they're usually full. Um, the way that they're reacting to the COVID-19 is they're, number one, switching almost everything possible to a telehealth visit and screening everybody through telehealth before they come in. If you have to go there, you drive up, you wait in your car and call them and let you know that they're there. They come out to your car in full PPE and interview you while you're still sitting in your car. When they're ready for you, they bring you in and you don't touch anything. You have an escort that opens the door for you. You have an escort that, you know, so so as you're going through the building, you don't have to touch the pen. You don't have to touch the clipboard. You don't have to touch a door handle. Um, they get you into the room, you know, and, and you see your position. And then while, while you're, they, they have a traffic coordinator. So when I'm bringing patient X into the, the doctor's office, somebody is making sure that the hallway is clear so I don't pass anybody. Um, and then what they were doing, she was explaining to me, they, that person is in the hallway and they actually kind of knock on the, from the inside of the room and somebody comes and opens the door and escorts everybody out or lets the doctor know when the hallway is clear. So you have very minimal passing of people next to each other um, in the physician's office. Now, that is right now because we don't have a lot of testing. We don't know who's coming in the door. Um, but you can kind of see a hybrid approach to this as we move forward to get people to come back in. Because this is 
this is going to be the thing. Jeff, you mentioned you're kind of a germaphobe, so you're probably never comfortable with that waiting room in the first place. I know I never have been because if you go to a waiting room, those people are sick, right? And it's never made sense to me why I had to go for my annual wellness physical and sit in a waiting room full of people that were there to see the doctor because they had the flu or cold or, you know, whatever was going on. Um, And I think we're going to have to be a lot more sensitive to that, Um, particularly in the interim, you know, so we're going to have testing to see if you're actually sick. We have that now. We're getting antibody testing to see if if you've already been sick and have built up immunity. But then there's still the question mark full of people because we don't have a vaccine yet. So moving forward, I've got this huge influx of patients. I have X number of machines. I have X number of hours in the day. Um, And normally in radiology, what we do is we stack people up. We fill that waiting room so that anytime that equipment sits idle, you're not maximizing efficiency and you're not optimizing, you know, the the revenue that you can get from that room. But we're going to have to rethink that model. We're going to have to find ways to make people comfortable and to reassure them ahead of time. And and one of the things I mentioned already, um, electronic forms, getting all of that paperwork stuff done and allow, you know, however you have to do it through your IT departments to get authorization for electronic forms and electronic signatures that could be done before the patient walks in the door. And then getting their registration taken care of. So literally when they walk in the door, they can just go do what it is they're supposed to do and get out. Um, but this is also going to mean that there's going to be need to be some creative scheduling. So normally we have four mammo rooms and they're scheduled at eight, eight fifteen, eight thirty, eight forty-five, and maybe we need to do eight, eight ten, eight for room one, eight oh five for room two, eight ten for room three, and stagger it like that, and then have some sort of traffic pattern control for people as they come in and out, um, and then also not require people to wait in the waiting room, whether it's a text, sit in your car and I'll text message you when I'm ready um, and then have an escort at the door. Um, But we're really going to have to be able to work around people's uneasiness and then, and also just out of concern for their health, right? But back to the original problem, which is this overload. If you're running an imaging center, I could honestly see that this is the time to go to 12 hour days, probably six days a week. Um, you're going to have to expand appointment slots. You're going to have to expand the time that you're open in order to be able to, right now we're at, um, you know, the state of California officially went on lockdown on March 19th. Um, that is almost a month ago. And so we have at least four weeks. And I don't know, I, I think that most people were already starting to cancel things ahead of that that date. So we have at minimum, a four to six week backlog that is going to have to be introduced into the schedule where you're also considering trying to find a way to not rack and stack people as we, as we come out of this. Barbara, you raised some really interesting points, things that are considerations now, and, and I imagine they're going to be continuing to be considerations um, for some time in the future. Things like digital forms, um, planning for the waiting room, Um, additional precautions regarding things like uh, contact and sanitization. Another statistic I read in an article is that they're saying for CT machines, uh, it's taking up to a half hour to sanitize the room between patients now with the concern of the spread of COVID-19. So with all of that in mind uh, and all of these different scheduling um, requirements and everything, how do we think that that is going to impact future procurement projects? I mean, I know we have felt it um, as a consultancy 
Um, I'm sure a lot of our vendor friends out there have felt this as well as our, you know, hospital organizations have put a lot of procurement projects on hold. When they get back to business as usual and, and you know, they're ready to pick up with their enterprise imaging projects again, are they going to change? Are the requirements and the priorities in those procurement projects going to change? And if so, what do you think the most important technologies or features are going to be in the post-pandemic world? That's an interesting question. So I think that first and foremost, when we've talked about procurement projects for the last three and a half years, all anybody has talked about is AI. And I think that telehealth is going to replace AI as fast as you can snap your fingers. Let's face it, this is not the first pandemic that we have faced in this country. It's the most out of control one, but it will not be the last one. And as I mentioned before, until we come up with antibody testing and widespread testing and a vaccine, this COVID-19 thing is not going to go away. It will still need to be in the forefront of our minds. So you mentioned sanitizing a room. It's not easy when you look at a hospital and, and look at all of the people that come through there and the traffic goes through the room and the contamination, you know, um, that can happen. And this is airborne and, uh, you know, they're still not 100% sure on how long the particulate stays in the air and, and all of these other things that go along with it. So when you look at procurement, I mean, are we going to, do you want to talk about procurement from a, um, how do we go through the process of procurement? Because I think that that's going to change. Um, are we looking at what people are procuring? Because I think that that's going to change as well. So if we want to talk about how people procure things, you know, I mean, we're going through some projects right now where we were in the late stages of vendor selection. And those late stages of vendor selection, we had to pivot and make every single thing remote. Generally, the life of the consultant is about 60% of the time on the road, which is probably why the last five weeks have felt like the longest five weeks of my life, because I haven't traveled. I haven't been on an airplane. I think that the freedom to walk in and out of hospitals and go in and out of clinical care areas may be something that, that is going to change moving forward because you really do need to control who comes in and out of your department. You need to control who comes in and out of your environment. Um, and, and a lot of that goes to where they need to do contact tracing. If, if they get an exposure in a radiology department, where did it come from? Well, if you have vendors coming in and out and consultants coming in and out, you're just adding to the number of people that you have to trace. So for this particular project, we have done all sorts of meetings with vendors that normally would be in person. We've used Zoom and, and other uh, teleconference services to do all of the things we normally do in person remotely. Can I ask you a real quick, a quick question? Yeah. From your perspective, um, and this is not a leading question at all, I'm just really interested. Have you heard from your clients that this changes the quality or the outcome of this pivot that you've been experiencing? Another interesting question. I have heard from a lot of people that they are actually enjoying some of the teleconferencing because one of the things that you can't escape right now is that you are inviting people into your home and we're all getting to know each other a little bit better than we did before. You know, if I go on site, I am professionally dressed and my hair and makeup is done and I go in and I talk business and I leave. Now, when I'm on a conference call, I probably am not going to be in a business suit. My dog will probably run into the room and the postman is going to ring the doorbell and it's sparking a lot of conversations and it's leading to a lot more shared experiences. So we're actually getting to know our clients and our vendors on an entirely different level, which a lot of people have found enjoyable. 
Now, how does that affect the outcome? I think it's almost too soon to tell how this is going to turn out. A lot of it has to do with how how, how comfortable people feel with using the, the teleconferencing capabilities. And do you really feel like you're getting the true end user experience since you're going basically through a middleman? That's a really good question that I don't think we quite have the answer to yet. Yeah, so Barbara, I, I actually share that experience. I mean, I myself have uh, you know spoken with a few people on conference calls over the last few weeks that you know when we've had in-person meetings, it's always been in full business attire, but everybody is just comfortable showing up on these calls, you know, in, in their standard, you know, in a t-shirt or you know, a golf shirt or something like that. Um, it's a far more casual and relaxed atmosphere for sure. And and I think that, you know, maybe these are some of the things that that are enjoyable and that will carry forward. One of the questions though that I that I have for you and have you seen with your clients, you know, going through this, uh, and I understand that the procurement process and, and meeting with vendors and everything has changed. Have you seen a shift in any of the requirements um, that they're looking for or, or the features and functionalities that they're, they're looking at in the product softwares themselves? I mean, I imagine going forward, um, just, you know, as, a, as an outside third party right now, I would expect that, you know, there's going to be an increased emphasis on things like, um, you know, remote conferencing tools, uh, read at home type functionality, or, you know, to your point earlier, flexible scheduling tools or things like that. I know it's really early right now. We're, we're still in the throes of this, but um, have you seen anything from your clients that would allude to the fact that there might be a shift in mindset regarding the requirements for an RFP? We have all been talking about going paperless since, I don't know, about the year 2000. And really all that ends up happening is that that people end up with more paper. But this has really hit home the need for people to be able to fill out screening questionnaires, fill out general questionnaires, sign those HIPAA forms, um, sign your records release form. There is absolutely no zero reason to stand in front of somebody and do that on a piece of paper when it can all be accomplished through, through a patient portal or a web portal, electronically signed and already be digitally in the system when you walk in the door. In addition to that, um, obviously, radiologists reading from home. In the past, it was a luxury um, and something that they like to do. But I think that now we've seen the reality of the fact that there are times when it's going to be a necessity and it may actually be a driver moving forward. If you're worried about limiting your staff exposure to a virus that's hard to track, the thing that makes the most sense is to keep as many of them out of the workplace as you possibly can. The other thing that, um, and everybody's been talking about it for a long time, but the impetus, you know, there hasn't been that nudge is image sharing um, and collabor collaboration tools. So image sharing, we currently are still producing millions of CDs in this country every year and having couriers or patients bring them back and forth to doctor's offices when all of the media is, is digital. And so I think that there's a huge demand for that and then also for real-time collaboration. So not just that I can send Dr. X, can send Dr. Y a link to an image and we can both look at it and talk about when we're going to advance to the next image, but an actual real sharing where they are coming into my reading environment. And when I move my cursor and say, look at this right here, they see what I'm pointing at. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, this is more of a, a comment or an observation than a question. But, you know, hearing some of those tools and functionality that, that you're pointing out, which you're absolutely right, we've been talking about these for years. And you know, they sort of end up on the wish list of an RFP, but often um, they aren't prioritized when it comes right down to the vendor selection as sort of key selection criteria. Um, but going back to what you said actually a while ago regarding your telehealth 
um, encounter with your provider, one thing struck me in your story there, and that was after your encounter with your provider, you had a few minutes to chat. And uh, you know, I thought uh, to myself really quickly there, isn't that interesting that you had time to have a, just a couple minutes of actual conversation with your primary care provider? And the only reason that that could be feasible is because you know, thinking about when you go to a provider's office and you're going in and out of different rooms, the provider is rushing from room to room to see patients, um, you know, because somebody has to go in that room, get the patient out, clean up the room between patients, you know, and that's time loss. And now the physician isn't doing that. They're seeing you virtually. So they've regained that time between patients and possibly creating almost a more human experience with the patients that, that they're encountering, even though, you know, sort of conversely to that, it, it's a remote or a virtual um, encounter. Translating that over to the world of imaging, I wonder if this is going to be one of the catalysts that will help us to address this backlog is creating efficiencies that remove unnecessary movement, unnecessary, you know, uh, movement of people, um, even commuting in. Uh, if I can get my day started, uh, you know, reading at 8 a.m. rather than commuting for a half hour or an hour, you know, into the hospital to be there for, for 9 a.m., say, then I can get through that many more studies. Or if I'm not waiting for digital media to be transmitted on in a physical form, then I can have access to that information more readily. And, and again, that's going to add efficiencies to the imaging chain that will help us to chew through that eventual you know, surge after the surge of, of outpatient imaging that's going to show up. Um, I imagine we're going to see this continue to crop up in RFPs as we go forward. Yeah, for sure. So I know that my primary care physician did share with me that she's actually able to see more patients right now. To your point, she doesn't have to wash her hands in between every patient right now. The nurse assistant came on the was on the line first. Did all of my entered all of my data into the parts that I couldn't do, um, and then <clears throat> turned it over to the physician who didn't have to spend the entire time typing or or doing all of those interruptions. So as far as you know, radiology goes, you're always going to have X number of radiologists that have to be physically present in a clinic um, because they do interventional procedures and they see patients. Um, so we won't get away from the fact that, that a radiologist has to be on site to do a breast biopsy or to do a uh, barium enema or an upper GI or something like that. Um, but the rest of them, yeah, you know, I think that their efficiency can be, well, even their efficiency can be improved. To your point, we have major delays and frequent patient cancellations because studies get scheduled where a relevant prior is a necessity and it isn't there. And then we do spend an awful lot of time waiting on interpretation because we're waiting for even post-exam, waiting for relevant priors to show up. And for a physician to, you know, a radiologist to be able to, you know, walk from their breakfast table over to sit down and start reading, you've taken away their commute, you've taken away a lot of the physical interruptions that happen in an imaging department, and you can increase their efficiency. So, you know, we won't get from point A to point B overnight. But I think that it is, it is, to your point, taking things from the wish list and putting them onto the must-have list. And I think that at least in the, the immediate interim, we have, we have seen some very glaring inefficiencies in our healthcare system and the way that we deliver it that will need to be addressed. Um, hopefully, people don't have short memories on this because it's going to happen again. And COVID-19 isn't going to go away overnight, and there will be another pandemic. We need to be better prepared to handle it. I think there's some interesting use cases for AI right now with COVID-19, but I think that this is going to take a lot of the shift away from the things that people thought were going to be magical and go back to some things that we need that are more practical that will assist in healthcare delivery in times like this. So that, that brings up a question for me because you did mention previously 
that you felt there was going to be a shift away from the emphasis on AI to telemedicine. I think that's probably a very uh, astute observation. That being said, AI has proven itself to be a value, uh, especially when you, in one area where we've seen AI uh, already demonstrating immediate value is in uh, physician shortage organizations and being able to supplement uh, physician uh, productivity. Going back to what you said earlier around, you know, the tsunami, as you called it, of new uh, or of, of rescheduling exams that were postponed or canceled. Do you see a role for AI in the specifically in the radiologist workflow? Uh, you, you talked about 12 hour shifts. Most radiology groups would argue that they're already working pretty extensively long hours and very loaded work lists and, and schedules. Do you see AI playing a role in assisting the radiologists in accommodating that tsunami of catch-up procedures in imaging? If you can use AI to to drive the work list functionality um, and drive the the distribution and balancing of studies across physicians, then I think there's definitely a place for it. And I think some people are already doing that to a certain extent, but I think that this makes it you know all the more important. Um, when I was talking about 12-hour shifts. Per usual, I was thinking back to my experience as a technologist, and that's how we manage backlogs, right? You have the tech stay longer. To your point, Jeff, I think that a lot of times the technologists go home and the radiologists are still working for two or three hours because they have to read everything that this multitude of texts are, are sending towards them. So anything from um, a CAD system that can help pre-screen things and, and save a radiologist time in their reading. Um, Workless distribution or workflow management that can help optimize their workflow would certainly be things that 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 people are going to be looking for. And I almost challenge Jeff to um, artificial intelligence AI as something that would supplement radiology workflow to help reduce the backlog. I mean, sounds great in theory, but you know, as we well know, there's a few hurdles that we need to get over there too. And It'll be interesting to see if the, you know, the AI developers are able to step up to the plate. I know there's a number of FDA cleared or even approved algorithms that are, are popping into the market, but in order for us to really rely upon those as a form of diagnosis that would really serve to reduce the backlog, there's still a few hurdles there from a technology perspective to overcome. You know, our regulatory bodies are working towards accelerated method to, to clear these different types of algorithms as they pop up. So I, I'll be very interested to see what impact, if any, this has on, on those processes and, and whether or not this sort of elevates the importance of being able to bring these helpful new technologies to market safely for sure, but faster um, than we have before. So Barbara, I'm going to ask this, uh, I'm going to ask you a two-pronged question. The first question, uh, it's the same question, but from two different areas. There's a lot going on right now on the outside world, and yet most of us are huddled in our houses, which has created a, a completely different way that we address our lives from the time we get up till the time we go to bed. The first question is business related, and then I'd love to hear from a personal side. What do you think is the best use of people's time, specifically from the industry perspective? So vendors, people who are in the industry, any ideas on the best use of their time as we kind of work through this COVID-19 shelter in place world? And then I'd love to hear personally, is there anything that you have done differently that uh, you would not have been afforded the opportunity to do since uh, all this took place? Okay, so uh, so let's, let's talk about the first one. We all have a little bit more time right now. 
so this is this is where I've been working with some of my clients on some preparatory work for when things get going again. I wouldn't waste this time for any of our radiology partners that are out there and any of our vendor partners that are out there. This is an ideal time to look at the things that plague you on a day-to-day basis that maybe aren't really high profile right now because your your volume has gone down. But if you had been looking at doing a radiologist workflow optimization project, you could not ask for a better window to get this done. The radiology, at least for the outpatient centers, um, I want to speak carefully because we obviously do have some areas where people are working harder than they ever have, and, and I want to be sensitive to that. But for a lot of our clients, particularly on the outpatient side, if they're not associated with a large hospital system that's in a hot zone, the radiologists are having a lot of idle time right now. This is a great time to work on your, your templates for, um, for your reports. It's a great time to build up all of those macros you thought you'd like to get to. It's a great time to maybe try a different kind of mouse or try a little different setup that one of your colleagues is doing that makes them more efficient. This is a great time to approach things and and to think about how are we going to address all all of this moving forward? How are we going to deal with the tsunami when it comes in? Let's throw some scheduling templates together and let's see how we can move staff around and move patients around in a safe and efficient manner and be ready for the oncoming tsunami. And then for the vendors, you know, I, I have a couple of really spectacular vendors that we've had some contact with over the last couple of weeks that have really reached out to their current clients and have been working in a much more collaborative fashion than perhaps they had time to do before, but have been offering help and offering assistance and trying to troubleshoot some of the problems that come along from day to day. I know that I'm I'm working with somebody to write a blog about their partnership with one of their vendors who has come in and given them a lot of great advice on how to handle the sanitation in the CT or the hygiene in the CT room, what the best way is to clean things, what recommended cleaning products are, and, and doing a lot of the legwork that let's say your lead CT tech may not have time to go onto the you know, the website of your sanitizing company to find out how long it needs to air dry to effectively kill coronavirus. So this is a great time for vendors to ante up, get into that partnership mode with with your clients and really be there to offer offer assistance, particularly if you know you've got some free time on your hands and, and be looking at the future and what it's going to look like. Personally and professionally though, kind of blending those in, I have overcome my fear of webcams. I've stopped obsessing on how the camera angle is bad and I just don't pay attention to it anymore. And I'm actually enjoying the uh, the conference calls a lot more than I used to. Oh, that's great. And it's great that we can all uh, connect with each other now. I mean, imagine if this had happened, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I think it would have been a, a completely different story. Well, thank you, Barbara, so much for your great insights. And, and to all of our listeners who joined us today, thank you so much for, for listening. If you like what you heard, um, please subscribe to the podcast. We're going to continue to bring in experts and uh, discuss things like the intricacies and nuances associated with the wonderful world of, of enterprise imaging and uh, other things related. 